This is The Naturalist. In every episode, we're covering the products, ideas, and trends that are shaping the CPG industry. Or that we just really like. Damn, that sounded good. It's back. <laughs> it's back. And I'm not telling which one this is. Well, gotta choose a favorite, Jessica. I can't, not publicly. I'll tell, tell you later. Tell me later. That was such a fun conversation. The next time, bring me one. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I took one from my parents' house and ran. <laughs> Wasn't it a fun conversation earlier today? Yeah. It's fresh. It's yeah. freshy. I love Angela and Chris. They're a lot of fun. I do too. Our friends over at Infro, which has been great partners to us here at New Hope in the natural retail space. And Infro, of course, stands for Independent Natural Food Retail Association. Woo! Sorry, I had to keep repeating the letters. Yes, Adrian. Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and they're they're really great partners in, in keeping helping us stay connected with the natural retailers. Such a big part of the work that we do at New Hope is, you know, understanding the challenges, the opportunities for natural retailers for local co-ops across the country. And there's so many great ones. There really are. And it's it's really inspiring. I mean, I, I love every time we talk to Infra, I learn so much, not just about all of the different um, stores that they work with. And they're always, you know, I, I ask them for help all the time. You know, hey, I'm looking for a store that, oh, you talk to these people, talk to these people. I mean, they just have so many great ideas. But I, I just think that the work that they do is so inspiring. Yes, and it's so aligned with what you do, Adrian, leading our Natural Foods Merchandiser brand, which really serves this community of independent natural retailers. Yeah, Natural Foods Merchandiser, for those of you who don't know about it, it's been around for, I think, 40 years. Um, it's our retail-facing magazine, and we really try to not only shine the light on independent natural retailers and the great work that they're doing for our industry, um, but also really serve them. You know, what what are their needs? What are their challenges, like you mentioned before? How do they find new products? You know, what products can we bring to their attention? And of course, we have our annual market overview issue, which really does the market sizing for the natural products industry um, in terms of categories, overall market sizing, natural independent sizing. So it's 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 great. I, I feel really lucky to to be able to work at this sphere. Yeah, definitely. And you know, our our New Hope ecosystem, our retail ecosystem, obviously goes beyond just independent natural retailers. And I continue to say they are the heart and soul of this industry for a variety of reasons. I think that they're the closest to their consumers. They are so strong when it comes to education and community. And of course, they really have been the launch pad for so many early stage brands. So for all of those reasons, they're core to what we do. And we have our retail collaboration group, which is so much fun. Quarterly, we meet with a group of retailers and talk about all the things that are going on in their stores and in their businesses. And it's always really illuminating and helps us do our work better. And two other words that kind of come to mind, too, is um, family. You know, whether so many of these are family businesses, yes. generational businesses, 
for family, meaning their communities. You know, they're really a part of the community. People have been going there for 40 years, 30 years, 50 years, 10 years. You really feel like you're part of their the family. And the other word I think about is resiliency. I mean, again, these stores have been through so much, um, so many challenges. But again, you're looking at so many stores that have been this linchpin of their community for decades. Yes. So that's also really inspiring that they that they are resilient and you know, finding different ways to move forward. Yeah. And and those two things, I think, speak to the emotional aspect of retail and then the business aspect. And we like to acknowledge both of those things, that there's so much heart in these independent natural retailers and they're getting increasingly strategic in how they stay competitive in an evolving retail landscape. Also, I just love, I so enjoy just going to little grocery stores across the country. I don't know if that makes me a great person to travel with or an annoying one, but wherever I go, that's the first stop. I think, I don't know how your husband feels about it. I think you and I would travel really well together. (laughs) My husband is super happy for me to do that, but he's not that into it. He's like, I'll pick you up at 15. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Not that into it. So we had a great conversation today with Angela Bozo and Chris Sorensen from Infra, just talking a lot about, you know, the opportunities that independent natural grocers have for brands, talking a little bit about the aftermaths of COVID, challenges these grocers are still facing, and resiliency, of course. Favorite sparkling beverages. Favorite sparkling beverages. And more. So how are you guys doing? Thanks for thanks for joining us today. Yeah, doing great. Yeah, we wrapped on our November episode for the Buyer's Desk, so we're excited to be on your guys' podcast this time around. Well, that's why you have such good professional-looking setups, because you're podcasters. I mean, you two look like pros. I think after 11 we episodes, we've, we've I'm feeling a little bit more like a pro than I was uh, November of last year when we were like, can we even make this happen? So that's when you launched your podcast about a year uh, ago? January. Mid, mid-January is our first episode uh, of 2023, but we started working on it and doing some of the recordings in November, I think was when we initially started. Right, Angela? Yeah, we started in January and then I think we like launched, launched in April and let people go backwards. So, yes. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because we, we did launch privately to members only for a few episodes and then we went to the public. Well, tell us about your podcast more and about who you are and what you do. Maybe we could start there. Yeah, well, so we both work at Infra. I am the promotions program manager. I started Infra as a category manager. Being a category manager and working with all of these vendors and hearing their amazing stories was something that was like, wow, I've worked in the industry for 10 years and worked in purchasing, but I never heard the stories at this level before. So I was like, if I could find a way to retell or let members, Infra members hear some of these stories that that I hear as a category manager with the founders being on the call sometimes, that would be a really great message. And I was like, you know, we're also trying to do education and training and all these things. Maybe a podcast could be an interesting format because I know working in the stores in grocery or doing resets when I was a visual merchandiser, I'd put an earbud in and listen to a podcast or listen to music uh, before the store opened or for doing an overnight. So I was like, I wonder how many Infra members would do the same and then want to geek out on category management and brands and stuff like that. So I wrote up an idea. I pitched it to Angela and the marketing director at the time. And they're like, yeah, cool, do it. And I was like, wait, 
what I, I can do it. So then we just kind of like got a team together and kind of made it happen. I love it. And the podcast is for retailers. Yeah. Yeah. We gear it towards infra members. But I feel like the the content that we talk about really would be good for any retailer. So for independents, co-ops, anyone in the natural foods industry could probably glean something from it. But yeah, we talk to Infra members on every almost every episode. We're going to have you guys up on an episode coming up next year. And we have brand founders. And then we get people at Infra that are specialists that have worked in stores, worked in the industry together to talk about the topic. So we try to find a theme and then look at it through a bunch of different lenses. And then we have Jim, our on-site spins guy, on to do his segment to kind of talk about things from the spins data perspective. So we really try to hit a theme from all angles. I got to give a shout out to Jim because he ran up to me at Expo East and said, I'm such a big fan of your podcast. And that was the <laughs> first time that I really had any validation that anyone other than my family members <laughs> were really listening to it. And it was really exciting. So... So thanks. She told me quit my day job, and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I remember the first time someone said that as well, Uh, feeling like, oh my gosh, other people listen. That's amazing. (laughs) It is a good feeling. What was your first episode? Our first episode was persevering through the pandemic. So we figured we're far enough into and hopefully coming through, or as we say, post-pan, you know, and kind of looking back at what did that do to our business? How did it change buying habits? And how did brands react throughout all those su- supply chain disruptions? So we thought that was kind of a good good way to start. And then our second one, we dove right into uh, regenerative agriculture, regenerative organic. So we kind of hit a couple of big topics right away. And then regenerative kind of just has a thread now throughout a lot of our episodes. Yeah, you know, what was interesting about the first episode is I don't remember going into it with a theme. I remember doing what was a really interesting member interview, and that particular member had changed so much between pre and post pan that I think yeah. that kind of drove it. And then I remember Chris, you and I having the like, it's okay to make toilet paper jokes now, right? Like it's been long enough. Like we're <laughs> like we're all okay. I'm like deciding that yes, it was okay to make toilet paper jokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and then my interview with Denise Woodard from Partake. She mentioned so much about the pandemic. So yeah, I think the theming our podcast kind of was like, oh, well, this just kind of worked out. We should probably do themes. So yeah, Angela, you're totally right on that. Yeah, and, and they have flown they have flown really well. And that's been interesting because, you know, we just get some people together at Infra to kind of think about like, okay, when you have a brand perspective and a retailer perspective, you know, what's something that we could theme this around? And I feel like we were pretty successful for 12 themes. We'll see how 2024 goes. Well, so you mentioned regenerative agriculture. What are some of the other big themes that have been on people's mind this year, you know, on the podcast or or outside of the podcast? What's the word on the the retail street? Well, I mean, kind of going back a little bit to that pandemic, excuse me, going back to that pandemic thing. I talk to people all the time about that pandemic pandemic thing. thing. I love that. Well, I talk to people all the time about like, are we still benchmarking 2019? And I'm like, I think I think we might be. You know, I mean, if you think about where we were 2017, 2018, 2019, we had a lot of what we thought was really solid consumer behavior profiles. We had a lot of really interesting categories, like I'll take entertaining, for example, in the deli, you know, that were like really growing. We had data to support all of these interesting things. It was kind of easy to be a little bit predictive about some interesting subcategory growth and do that actionable insight to retailers. 
I would still tell you sitting here at the end of 2023, it is it is different. There are all kinds of things that we thought we knew that I don't feel comfortable 100% telling people are true anymore. There's a part of that that's really cool. There's a lot of freedom in it and kind of like thinking about what that will look like. But I would love to feel like we're going to be benchmarking 2023, that there aren't these anomalies that we are considering anymore. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I was in a role at the time that was very data centric. And I just remember being like, wait a minute, proximity is not in the top five anymore for like grocery choice. What's going on? Yeah. And I was still working in our stores. I worked at a co-op with three stores. And so I was still throughout 2020 and 2021, still working in the stores, dealing with data. You know, I was doing a lot of space planning, category management. We rolled out doing planograms in our stores and really trying some new things to figure things out at the store level. And it was a struggle for us too, because as we were looking at category reviews, looking at product mix, what our assortment was and how our customers and shoppers reacted to it changed. What we needed in sets, really having our EDLP program at that time really helped us out. At that store, we were pulling from UNFI was our primary, so Field Day was our EDLP, and that became huge. And then because there were supply issues with that and trying to figure out, okay, well, what do we do? So we started reaching out to all these other like EDLP brands to kind of fill in that little price thing. But yeah, looking back at the data, it's like, well, how do we do category reviews going forward? Because we can't look at year over year. Do we look at month over the previous month? But it got really weird to try to figure out how to do category reviews. So we just kind of like listen to our members, our owners that we call them at the co-op figure out what they were really saying, what they needed. You know, we had people filling out things every day in our suggestion boxes. And that kind of became our way to figure out how do we keep moving forward with this? Because yeah, data, looking at spins at that point in time too, and trying to compare it to your peers, you don't know what you, if your peers were doing what they should have been doing. But it caused us to do so many interesting things like work with our, you know, like the, our day is US food. So like the, they supply a lot of restaurants and finding ways to buy things from them in different ways to put on the shelf, um, whether it was toilet paper, to make sure we had things in stock. It was kind of just figuring out whatever we could do to keep things on the shelf and to make people happy, which is a whole different thing than really focusing on our mission, you know, all the time. So it was it was different. Yeah, like the very, very practical aspects of staying afloat and keeping shell stocked and all of those critical things but i am curious so this is all very interesting and i'm curious chris you said like well both of you said well how do we do category reviews and this time moving forward so what is the answer oh i don't know if we have the answer i think i think we have a lot of ideas yeah. that we need to test i think as our members are doing category reviews going forward we uh just had an interview with Andy Ulrich from Mama Jeans. And I, one thing that he really talked about was kind of slow and steady, make incremental changes and review those and look at the effect that they had. If they're having positive effects, do more of that. If it has a negative effect, don't do things like that. And I think that's probably the best approach, right, is uh, incremental change. Because I think what is easy to do as a retailer, see an opportunity and just want to take care of it and do all of it, right? Redo the whole store, cut a bunch of product, but that can be detrimental. So I think it is a slow, steady, look at what just happened last year, look at the last couple of years, take it with a grain of salt, look back to 2019, 
see how that was doing. But really, you have to see what's happening now and kind of respond to customers. That's so interesting because, Adrian, that feels like what we've talked about on the CPG side of things, too, of just slow growth and slow incremental changes and really evaluating what's happening as a result of those shifts. So I think that's really interesting thinking about it or looking at it through the lens of retail. I'm curious about the fact that neither of you said inflation at all? Was that intentional or just don't want to talk about it? <laughs> I'd be fine not talking about it, but we can. It feels like big factor this year and moving forward, I would imagine, for retailers. Sure. Absolutely. I, you know, I don't actually think about, yes, acknowledge that we've come off of an insane year of grocery price inflation. A lot of our members are already in positions where they have a price perception that is less than favorable to them, you know, wanting to support their employees, wanting to compete, but not exactly sure about what strategy will actually help them do that, right? So there's a piece of those sorts of decisions, like how are we doing category reviews? How are we dealing with inflation? That kind of brings me back to that question we were talking about before, where what is what is kind of top of mind for some of our retailers? And I think it is this larger question of differentiation. I think if anything, you know, we saw a kind of inflation across the board, even at some of the retailers that we consider to be normally very price cautious. And so I think that there were actually ways that our retailers could tell a little bit more of their story and their prices weren't feeling as terrible in an environment where they already had kind of put it out there that like, no, we're not the lowest price shop in town, but there's going to be somebody in the aisle that's going to help you navigate the product. You know, we're here to support our community where the people in our community are the people that work here. And so in an interesting way, I think that there was some price inflation that gave some of our members actually a very cool opportunity to tell their story. Interesting you bring that up, Angela, because we actually explored that in our state of natural presentation at Expo West and some of it um, at Expo East. But in a way, inflation has kind of leveled the playing field since natural independent grocers haven't been as competitive with price, but now we're seeing inflation across the board. So it could actually be maybe an advantage to some of these stores. Right. Yeah, I think so. When, yeah, as I say, when we were early on, when in the inflation issue kind of came up and was a topic, and we looked at some of the spins data and spins even presented this where a lot of people within the natural channel and outside of it were adjusting prices right away and reacting very much so to inflation. Infra, the infra total in spins was not adjusting prices right away. They were holding price and having some stability and consistency within their customer base. And I think that maybe that approach, whether it was intentional or not, had a positive effect because these shoppers that maybe shop multiple channels, multiple stores, and saw all this fluctuation in price at other retailers and came back to their independent and it's like, well, these prices haven't adjusted or changed. You know, and that could have, you know, been taking less of a margin, you know, being intentional about it, or just kind of taking that stand of like, I'm not going to participate, you know, in this right now because maybe it'll come back down. And so I think there was maybe some positive price perception that came from that. But then I think more recently, even earlier this year, we rolled out uh, Infra Everyday, which is an EDLP program that we partnered with Kehi on the Kadia brand. And we're able to put together a, a price program that is super competitive with Whole Foods, Sprouts, Albertsons, Safeway, a, a lot of these big players. And we have now stuff on that pantry program that is even cheaper 
than some of these big retailers. So, you know, when we look at, you know, go back to the category management and product mix, when we're looking at a good, better, best, if, our, if the good in our sets at Infra Retailers is meeting or exceeding price perception in a lot of these categories, you know, at the, the pantry product level, I think that also helps along with what happened at the earlier phases of inflation. So thanks for bringing it up, because, yeah, maybe we wouldn't have brought that up on our own. I don't think Anyways, we would have. Should we do said, an episode on inflation? I I don't know that we should. I don't think we would have We would have brought up inflation. <laughs> Both of your faces when she said the word inflation. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, it was definitely pertinent to the industry, no question. Since we've gone back and we're, we've been talking a little bit about COVID and the pandemic, and one of the stories that silver linings that I really, I guess, just was a silver lining out of COVID from retailers was that as they were, I was told by a lot of people that as there were short stock on a lot of those bigger brand items, they had to bring in these smaller emerging brands. Maybe people didn't know it gave a lot of opportunities to smaller brands to get on shelves that they maybe didn't have before. And I always think about independence as really historically that a great launching point for those small brands, especially, I mean, how many brands start at farmer's market and then they get to their local co-op or grocer and, and, um, you know, so let's just shift shift gears a little bit. What are some of those advantages for those small brands about getting into natural grocery, small independent retailers? Well, I think looking at things from, you know, both being a category manager and now being the promotions program manager and kind of seeing our programs from, from a different view, I think that you're right in that. You know, a lot of these brands, when we look at spins data and look at when do we want to start working with some of these brands at the infra level so through promotions and through our flyer program, a lot of our members will carry these items long before they're they're really even trending or come up for a next year or something like that. So I think that's fascinating to see, you know, across the country, which one of our members start picking things up first and and are those kind of leaders within that, I think is fascinating. But Angela, what are your thoughts on on that side? So I grew up at New Seasons Market in Portland, Oregon, and we had an amazing local program. And what I would say about that is like, do you want to talk directly to someone in the store about the way that your about the way customers interact with your product? Like, go find an independent store to put your product on the shelves, and then you'll have a touch point there. Like, it won't be like sending fifteen emails into the ether and not knowing like what's working, what's not working, what you could do. Demos are great touch points, but also just like talking to store staff independent where you are able to get a shelf place and you're able to put your product in the break room, like getting some staff on board to say that they have tried your product and like it. It blew my mind the first time I realized how much power I had in the aisle where someone's like, well, what do you get? And I'm like, well, you don't even know me, but I'm going to tell you I love this. And now you're buying it. And now you came back a week later and told me it's your new favorite thing. And that is so cool. <laughs> like, so I just think that there's like a there's a touch point there. But also, do you want to negotiate? Do you want to do something experimental and cool? Do you want to just see how many different ways you could set up your new item? Like have four different stores, approach them four different ways and like really figure out what works for you. I just think there's so many different ways you could approach that. I get hung up a little bit. Uh, Chris and I just had this conversation about products that kind of defy traditional subcategories. You know, if you think about going into the mm. grocery aisle, right, like here's the tomato set and it's got cans of tomatoes in it and some tomato paste, but the sauce is over here. And like, and shopping is so much habit. And my example for this, which I just use on our podcast, but I'll use it again, is like tomato jam. Well, where does that go? Like, does it go in the tomato set? Does it go with the jams? Is it going to get lost in either of these places? If I had a product that I felt like defied subcategory, 
I would want to try it in a whole bunch of different sets. And do you know who would let me do that? A bunch of independent retailers where I, totally. you could you could probably even be honest. Like, I'd love to try this like adjacent to your cheese department. Could we try it in the jam aisle? If after 30 days there's no movement, like, I'll help you come and move it and like, go make a deal, you know? And that really feels like where true innovation sits is in that gray area where it's like it doesn't quite fit. And to know that independents will generally have that flexibility to be really open. And I think that aspect of partnership that you touched on, too, of just like having it be a true partnership and collaboration to bring some of these new concepts to market is really the most important thing when you're launching a company or a product to have that strong. Yeah, if I had- Yeah, I think it's been interesting. Go ahead, Angela. Sorry, I was gonna say, if I had one piece of advice on any of that, it's like, please don't forget the power of the store staff. I mean, especially at an independent natural Mm -hmm. retailer where we have people on the floor that like really have elevated customer service to the place of being knowledgeable about products. Putting a couple of t-shirts in the break room and some samples of your product, just getting a few people to be your, your touch point on the floor, is just, it's invaluable, you know? I already want to buy your fictitious tomato jam just from hearing you talk about it now. Thank you. I do, and I, I do I not lack enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people that come to work at an independent natural store, a cooperative, like these community places, it's a community gathering place, right? That's, that's kind of what it is. And it's fueled and worked by these people that are food justice warriors. You know, they care about these things. They're passionate about these issues. So when these new brands coming in that are local brands or, you know, small emerging brands come in, it's easy to get excited about them. And it's easy for people on the team to get excited and talk about it. So when someone asks, if you don't know about the products, like, oh, I know John over here. Let me go grab him from this aisle. It's his favorite product. He'll talk to you about it for 30 minutes that's kind of the the in-store experience. That's why I love going to independents and co-ops because you, you go there for the conversation, the experience, and it's really that full store experience that you're not going to get that knowledge or that touch point or understand that this person just met with the owner yesterday, received the order from the owner. The owner told them that they just made it two days ago. And then now you can relay that to the customer. It also relays that really hyper-local, that freshness and everything that you don't necessarily get in a corporate environment. I feel like you both touched on one of the key differentiators of the independent natural retail experience, which is the education, which ties to discovery and product innovation. I'm curious what you think those other differentiators right now, and maybe some new things that you're seeing, whether it's in that list of of awesome retailers you sent us or others of just like, things happening in the in-store experience that are really exciting and fresh and keep that connection alive? This is a great question because I'm thinking to myself, all right, I've just read about a couple of companies that are trying to do this, like some education pieces, but I don't know that any of that has like proof of concept quite yet because we're thinking center store innovation in general. I don't know off the top of my head, actually. What do you got, Chris? Well, for one, good question, because it stumped me right away. But just thinking about innovation, and and I'd like to look at it a little bit differently with what, what we're trying to do just with Infra and the Infra membership. The good thing is we've always been able to be nimble. I think that's the first thing that came to mind is the independent retailer can be nimble. We can make decisions very quickly about either new products or not new products. And maybe this isn't innovative necessarily, but really teaching and training people about strategy and having an overall strategy 
and how that can impact things. Because I think one thing with you know me working at a co-op, and I don't know, Angela, if maybe this resonates with you from working at New Seasons, but I've even just in my talks with Infra members, very passionate about doing the work, having the right products, having all of these things. It's like, well, what is your strategy? Where, why do you put that product at eye level? I don't know, because I like it. And it's like, well, what does that do then to these other products? So I think it's starting to have these conversations of what is Infra's strategy, right? And what do we want to present to members as guide rails of what could be a good overarching strategy, whether it's your pricing strategy, your merchandising strategy, your promotional strategy, and really start to think of when people walk into your store, what do you want them to think? What do you want them to feel? And making sure that people are thinking about that, right? Because I think it's really easy to say, I like this thing. I want to put it there. It looks good to me. But what message does that send to your to your customers? And making sure that whatever your mission is, what your values are, are expressed through the work that you do as well beyond just product mix and things like that. I don't know. Does that answer your question? It definitely does, Chris. And I really think it's an interesting kind of reframe because I feel like you articulated something that I've experienced, which is seeing like from a, either my perspective as, you know, on the media side of things or as a consumer, like I'm seeing independent retailers really having a strong point of view. And I think it's a mission, it's a purpose, and it's a strategy. And it's something that is able to create an emotion for the consumers who walk into the store and to think about that by saying like, yeah, there's a lot more strategy going into the decisions and marrying that with obviously the passion of these retailers and the passion of their customers, I think um, is coming through, but I wouldn't have necessarily known to articulate it in the way that you do did of what's happening behind the scenes to get Well, to I, I think another interesting thing too, is when you ask people what's your strategy, they say, I don't know, I, I don't have it. Then you start asking the questions and you very much like, oh, I just typed everything you said, this is your strategy. I think that's one thing as retailers, we went through a very hard time throughout the pandemic. You know, that was very challenging from from labor, supply chain, all of that. Part of this work around getting people to understand their bigger strategy and like how they play kind of pulls you back from this everyday grind of, of, of working in the store to like, oh, yeah, I am here for a mission. I am here because of these values. Um, I think it allows people to kind of reconnect to that work that we're doing too, which I think is super important. I uh, have always thought, you know, and I was thinking about this earlier when you were talking about the category reviews, just that nimbleness you were talking about. I mean, the ability to maybe slow down, take things incrementally, and whether or not that also presents opportunities for brands to maybe get in the door or have opportunities that they might not have had before the pandemic when things were maybe at a more structured pace or I just think that there's so much flexibility that we've seen displayed by independent natural retailers that I don't really think anyone else can can compare with that. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we felt like we knew about consumers was that they had a lot of brand loyalty. And then we realized that that was a little bit more of a demographic piece that it tended to be a slightly older consumer. And throughout the supply chain issues that we had, these people, by and large, found other brands. And then there be, there really has been this movement for more like brand agnosticism. You know, we, we see that a little bit when we, when we read about private label, but we also like you've really seen consumers be far more open to different choices. You know, shopping is still habit. So they're still looking for it in that, you know, category constraint. But they're much more likely now across generations to like try something new 
uh, maybe because it's on sale or because you put it at eye level or because the label is a cool shade of blue that they like today, which is it's that's great. That's a huge opportunity and opening for so many brands to like then become the loyal brand long term, you know? What's creating that behavioral shift? I've even noticed it in myself. I'm like, I'm just end cap obsessed lately. <laughs> like a compelling end cap. And I'm like, all right. Like, and I feel like a lot of times it's thematic or highlights local companies. But I, who, you know, I've traditionally been very experimental with my products. I've been even, even more so. So I'm curious, like, and certainly seeing that with consumers as well. What do you think is, is, creating that openness to try something new. I think there are a lot of factors. I think one of the big ones has really just been amazing explosion and innovation on the brand side to begin with. I used to joke when I worked with a lot of incubator programs and the joke really, right? Salsa and barbecue sauce. These were two categories where it felt like everybody was trying to get their skew in. And even if it was amazing, unfortunately, there's 15 other that are amazing. And I feel like in the past, let's say, five to seven years, we've seen a really cool innovation within categories. I think some of it based on our kind of like this resurgence of special diets. You know, you've got Whole30 and Paleo and plant-based and all these things where people feel like they can like innovate in those categories. And then that trickles down to all the subcategories. And I think some of that diet stuff too has either intentionally or unintentionally caused us to look at that kind of category review and management process a little bit differently. Not just do I have a good price, but if somebody comes to this category and they want a low sugar option or they're on this particular diet, do I have something for them? So as we're seeing like these more diet changes and trends, then we're seeing more products that will meet those needs. And those products just happen to be across store, which is amazing, right? Like it'd be very challenging to feel like we were really challenging normal consumer ideals if we didn't actually have the product to back it up. So like it's our CPG friends that are a million percent, I think, driving that. But also at the point at which you at one time, just I think one time had to say, okay, I love this one, but it's not on the shelf and I'm getting something else. And oh my God, I loved this one (laughs) is the point at which now like you're probably not going back for that second one. You're probably like, how many more other things do I love even on the shelf? Uh, well, I mean, that has also been my experience. I I feel like I'm a lot more open. I look for new things right now. I feel like anybody that's like feeding a family also has like 17 different preferences amongst three people. So that there's like this whole other piece of like this personalization and kind of meeting people where they are with their preferences and dietary choices that has really also, I think, created what I'm going to call like a cool explosion of experimentation in the grocery aisle. It's so refreshing I, well, I love you too. You're so you're so clearly passionate about the industry and what you do, Angela. I think you gave us probably our title of the episode: the explosion of experimentation in grocery. Is like I was like writing it down. I'm like beautiful. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Just going back to that question for one quick second, though. I also have to say, I think the fact that snacking is okay. It has also created a really interesting ability for people to not only diversify what they're eating, but decide to make all kinds of things snack. We can bring protein if we want. Fine. Our snacks are high protein, whatever. But there was kind of a vilification of snacking, I would say, like late 90s, early aughts. And somehow we just like 
decided to embrace it as a thing we all do anyway. And then again, our CPG friends like stepped up and were like, oh, you want snacks? Well, we're going to put everything in a two ounce package, like bring it on. And that has also been really cool and enabled people to kind of get out of their habits. And I just I just want to be here and be pro oh, yeah. snacking. I think, well, I think we called this, Adrian, like a, a couple of years ago, our snackification yeah. industry. And I'm just like, yeah, so we're we're all about this. Well, and when yeah. we talk about the complement to the snack would be the water and or the sparkling water or the beverage. That is also uh, really expanded with, you know, you can now get sparkling water other than just LaCroix. Don't get me wrong. LaCroix is great. LaCroix, however you want to say it, the right way or the wrong way. Nixie coming out and having amazing flavors, Waterloo coming out, and then even some private label coming out with really interesting, you know, flavors of sparkling waters. And and then we have like the hop water and all these new beverage experiences that are sparkling water adjacent as well that are... Liquid Death now has sparkling water. Yeah. And they have the sparkling tea agave mixture, which is also interesting and tasty. We always have debates with our colleagues over the best... Wait, is that brand or skew? Probably you guys the- argue brand or skew? Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. We'll do that. <laughs> I'm just going to put it right there. It's Nixie Strawberry Hibiscus. That's the one. Well, this has been so fun. It's been great having you both on the podcast. I can't wait till we get to be on your podcast. It'll be another good chance to see each other. Yeah, it'd be great. Thank you so much for yeah, being here. Thank yeah, you so much. Thanks for, for having fun. us. All right, it's time for The List, and we got a little help for this episode of The List. We have our favorite retailers. We have so many favorite retailers, and we wanted to hear from Infra and maybe learn about some different local retailers that, you know, local to different parts of the country retailers that we don't know about. Yeah, and I will say that the list that they gave us was so long. You can tell that they have 800 million favorites as well. Yeah. So I wouldn't say these are favorites. These are just some of the highlights. Yes, some retailers doing great innovative things. So first on the list is Ernest Foods, which is in Springfield, New York. So this is a Queens-based Black-owned supermarket that offers a range of organic and vegan food options. I think it's really great. They have a charity of the month that they highlight on their website that offer services and resources to a range of organizations within their community. They also have community events and they do a really excellent job of highlighting women, local, and minority-owned businesses within Queens. Next on our list is Kindred Market in Athens, Ohio. I almost went to school in Athens, Ohio. Who did? Have you ever been there? I have. Nice place. Yeah. Really nice place. And I also love the name Kindred Market. I do, too. Feels very Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> Kindred spirits. <laughs> Should clarify the reference for anyone under... 75. (laughs) So this is a really cool store. It has a really big local focus, organic, natural food grocery store. They look at locally sourced products, great social presence. There's a cafe. There's art. There's grab and go. It's a little bit of everything, but it's really, I think, a, a great community center and so important to the community. Great store. Yeah. Yeah, and so many of these retailers are doing things beyond food and CPG like that, like yeah. art and events and a community gathering space. Next up is Leg Up Farmer's Market in York, PA. This is a full-service natural foods grocery store located in York, Pennsylvania. It is part of the Leg Up family of companies, 
And Leg Up Farmers Market supports the work of Leg Up Farm, which is a nonprofit therapy center in York County for children with special needs. So such a great cause to align with. And Able Services, a nonprofit day program service for adults with special needs. So I really appreciate the fact that, again, a grocer, a market that is tying to a much bigger cause. Next on the list is Marigold Market and Cafe in Austin, Texas. Now, this store is really a marriage of grocery and food service, so they're really leaning into that food service piece. They let their patrons shop and stop to grab a bite from their multitude of offerings. The market features aisle upon aisle of beers, wine, snacks, grocery, household items, the snackery that we have been talking about, or snackification, and all of those things are great for on-the-go, quick purchases. And then they also have a cafe with a bakery, with fresh food, with meals, with beer, kombucha on tap, and another grab-and-go selection. So go to the cafe, go to the market, go to both. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And Juan Carlos will pick you up in an hour. And Juan Carlos will pick me up in an hour. Pick us up in an hour. Yes, I'll be there too. The last retailer on the list is Mar Val. So this is a store that has multiple locations in inland California. They were opened in food deserts. So their mission is really all about food access and keeping that small community feel at each location and really providing choices to the community where they're located. Yeah, yeah, and I like that scalability and accessibility story there. Yeah, I do too. And this is a chain of stores. They have conventional food items, but they're also really doubling down on natural food offerings. And joining Infra, I think, was a way to really reinforce that for them Yeah, and provide options to their community. So think about the fact that if they're in food deserts, they're providing a whole range of options to, to the people in their communities. And I think that that's so valuable. I really like that. All right. Retail Innovation Road Trip. Here we come. You can see if Juan Carlos can drive us. <laughs> <laughs> Want to be on The Naturalist? Send us an email at thenaturalist at newhope.com.